Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. This is episode 19 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Today, I don't have a very long intro because I'm enjoying some really great holiday time with my family, Um, but I'm happy I can still get some podcast episodes out to you. Uh, Today, uh, we have an interview with Erica Bartholo, and it's a really interesting interview. Um, We talk a lot about uh, her book, which is called Holy Doubt, Finding Hope When Faith is a Struggle. And uh, a lot of that book is about her time spent in India uh, as a missionary for three years and some of the struggles and difficulties that she had in that time. Um, I will remind you as well, uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a couple of ways. One is by leaving a review on iTunes, and you can also support the podcast financially and help pay for some of the things like podcast hosting and possibly a new microphone for me. And you can do that on a service called Patreon, and I provided links on the show notes for this episode um, and so you can just head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com slash Erica for this one. Um, and uh, you can support me or you can just look at the show notes for this week or listen. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Today, I have Erica Bartholo on the podcast. Welcome, Erica. It's so great to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, Erica is uh, an author and also a pastor along with her husband, uh, and uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of what you what you do and, and your family or whatever else you want to throw in. Sure. Um, we live in Northeast Iowa, and my husband is a pastor. I lead the women's ministry here, and we've had kind of an interesting journey over the last, I don't know, 15 years. We'll celebrate our 15-year anniversary this season. We've crammed a lot of um, different ministry into 15 years. We started out as children's pastors and then moved into youth and worship. And then we did missions for a little bit in India. And then we did college and university ministry. And now we're in the just regular church world. And we always joke that the only thing we haven't done specifically yet is senior adult ministry. (laughs) So, you know, we're still young. We're, we'll probably get to it. We'll get there. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, we're going to talk a bunch about uh, your time in India, I think, because uh, you have a book out um, called Holy Doubt, Finding Hope When Faith is a Struggle. And, uh, and a lot of it is about uh, your time in India. So it's kind of, uh, we were talking just before we went on about, uh, it's kind of part memoir, but it's not really memoir. It's kind of about faith, um, and about, um, some struggles that you, that you had, but I think probably one of the strengths of the book, I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've read kind of a little bit from the beginning and already what draws you in is sort of your storytelling and, um, about, uh, your experiences in the, in India. And I think, I think that's really 
an interesting part of the book, but also there's, there's stuff to be learned or things that you learned along the way. So I'd love to hear all about the book and, uh, and particularly about your, uh, what happened to your faith in India as well. Sure. Um, well, the book is very much story driven and it's centered around six questions that kind of came up when we got to India and three months into it, I felt like God had abandoned me. Mm. And so there were a whole series of things that I don't want to bore you with, but the book goes into detail to kind of let people know like how I got to this point, especially in such a short amount of time. But um, I felt abandoned. And as I got to that point, then I started asking all kinds of other questions, Um, questions that I'd never asked before, which honestly would have been good questions to ask before. (laughs) Questions like, is God good? Um, Does he cause bad things to happen to us? Um, Things like that were really jumping out in my mind as I was struggling through all of these different things. And so the book is really about um, not, I didn't write it to provide like the definitive answers to all of those questions for everyone. It's more of um, an invitation to start your own journey and ask your own questions of God because he's so capable of answering everyone's questions and some people's questions will be different than mine. And so I really just wanted to write a book that kind of made people feel okay to ask the questions that sometimes seem scary to ask Mm -hmm. um, and maybe aren't encouraged in the church world a whole lot (laughs) to dive into. And so that was kind of the heart behind the book. And hopefully that came across well. It's been fun to kind of hear some people's feedback as they've read the book. They, I was, I shared my experiences and they were a little bit extreme in some situations, but it's really cool to see how um, people are finding their own story in my story. And so that's been that's been really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, what was it about, like, what was it about India? Or maybe you can share one, one story. Like, I know there's lots of stories in the book, but maybe you share one. Um, uh, but what was it about India that kind of caused this? You know, you said you, in three months of being there, you had this feeling that God has abandoned you. Like, what, what is it about that place or being there or, or about yourself and the situation that, uh, that led you to that point? And then we'll talk about what happened after that and how, because, because hopefully, hopefully things get reconstructed. A bit. Yes, yes, so, yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, we had two, we have two children and they were two and three when we moved there. And so a lot of what I experienced was I didn't feel like my kids were safe. Um, mm. And so I felt completely out of control as a mom trying to provide safety for my children. And I sort of, um, one of the things that I had to deal with 
was this idea that we're promised safety and uh, um, happiness all the time, like as followers of Jesus, that was something that I don't know that anybody had ever like specifically said that, but it's something that I kind of absorbed from my upbringing in church. And I just had this underlying belief that, you know, as long as I was following God and doing what he asked me to do, that everything was going to be roses and happiness all the time. And it just wasn't. And so I kind of just fell apart because I thought I must be doing something wrong. Like, so that was kind of in a nutshell, what got me to such kind of a dark place in such a short time. Yeah. I think, I think I kind of like the, you talking about safety. Cause I think in some ways we're kind of obsessed with safety. (laughs) Right. We're safe. Like we're, we're obsessed with security and, you know, and I think we just, I'm in Canada, you're in the States, but it's kind of a similar culture of just like everything is basically okay in our lives, right? Like we live pretty protected lives. If you're in kind of middle, middle to upper income, uh, you know, North America, you're, you're living pretty well compared to, you know, the entire world and, um, and all of human history, right? Like you're, um, but so, um, and it's funny because that, that promise of, of safety in some ways that's there in scripture. Um, but it's always that we're secure in God, but there's no real promise that, that that's going to play out in real life. Like it, that, that in the, in human life. Right. Right. Um, I mean, look- John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah, like like the disciples, they you know, most of them are killed for their faith. And um, I knew a, a heard of a, a pastor who, um, in our tradition, we we baptize uh, infants, babies, right? And so uh, they were they had a really nice looking church, so they would get people from outside the church coming and asking for baptism for their kids. And he would start by saying, "Well, you know, throughout most of history." Uh, people who follow Jesus are persecuted and a lot of them are killed for their faith. So is that what you want for your child? Cause, <laughs> and he said, a lot of people just kind of said that we'll go find another place. This, you know, we'll go find somewhere else. But, um, but it was a kind of an interesting way to start a conversation with people who yeah. were kind of, you know, just sort of marginally sort of cultural Christian um, like kind of shocked by this pastor saying, <laughs> are you really wanting this life of, of danger for your child? Um, cause in some ways that's what followers of Jesus and Jesus himself end up, you know, walking that, that road of, of struggle and suffering. And, uh, but as parents, like how, how do we deal with that for our children? We want to raise them with faith, but at the same time, what does that mean? Um, those are big questions that, yeah. <laughs> that you're, that you have to struggle with. Um, so, so what did you do with, with all of that? I know it's kind of a big, big question and that's kind of the journey of the book as well. Um, but sort of what was the story once, once things you started asking all these questions, how long were you in India first of all? And then, and then sort of what was the, where did things go? Sure. Um, we, we were in this mountain village for three months and by the end of that three months, I was 
suicidal and just mm. needed to get out. So we got some counseling and in Thailand, and then we came back wow. and we stayed in India for, we were there for almost three years. Wow. Um, and so for me, I felt like India was just a big learning experience. Um, my husband thrived there. He loved it. Like every single thing about it was <laughs> amazing for him. And every moment that we lived there was a struggle for me. Um, but I learned a lot. <laughs> and so that was, I'm not sure if I answered that question the way that you wanted me to, but <laughs> no, you are, you are answering the question the way you're, the way you're supposed to. Um, I, I, can I just say, I want to thank you for, for being totally honest too, because I think we hear of like missionaries who go overseas and it's like the great, the greatest thing ever. And, um, and like, I don't know if, maybe we just don't hear the stories. Like maybe they don't, like they don't get on the stage to be able to tell the story of actually the whole time was a struggle. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously there's some reflection after the fact, right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's not as though, like, it doesn't sound like your story is. Yeah. And then after a year, then, then we were, we were okay and kind of got on track. Right. No, it was, so we were there for almost three years and my relationship with God was um, probably mended within a year. But then from that point on, there was so much to learn and relearn mm. um, things that I had learned wrong <laughs> and things that I thought about God that weren't maybe necessarily true or biblical. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of a real, it's been a very long process, actually. Um, it wasn't, I would say it's been almost a decade of kind of just really learning who God really is in the middle of this. That was probably the biggest gift that came from the whole experience was just getting the opportunity to kind of have all of the stuff that was distracting me and um, just wasn't important kind of just stripped away and then seeing God for who he really was and kind of getting to know him that way but the the missions thing is funny because I, that was one of the things that really made me lose it because all I'd ever heard was the great stories of all of the people that they went over to this country and all these people came to know God. Right. And I was like, this is not happening for me. <laughs> like what, what is happening? I must be yeah. the, giant failure of the world and so um I think we do kind of at least in the church that I grew up in kind of almost idolize missionaries and put them on a pedestal and think that they're somehow 
more spiritual or super spiritual and than normal people and they're just normal people <laughs> right right missionaries and church planters i, I was a i'm a church planter yeah. and um and so we go to conferences we read the books and it's like oh you know we started with a team of 40 people and then you know in eight months that had gone up to 800 and <laughs> Oh, great. We're going to do that. Um, you know, so 15, 15 years later, we've gone from, you know, 20 to 70, you know, um, and, uh, and, and I think that's maybe just more of the reality. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't, they don't get on the, the, the smaller, the struggle, um, you know, you, you were in India for three years and you probably made a big difference in the lives of some people. Um, but, maybe it wasn't, you know, the thousand person baptism in the river, you know, like that's, that's the, that's the story that will get told because it's, wow, this is amazing. Right. Um, and, and I sometimes think about scripture in that way, in the same way is that, you know, these things made it into the Bible because they're the, these are the amazing things like, you know, Jesus healing a blind man. That's pretty amazing, but there was plenty of blind people around who didn't, get healing um or weren't in the same cities that jesus was in you know like right so i you know i just think sometimes we maybe our expectations are that it's always going to be this phenomenal thing i know i i always expect more and then and then i really struggle with disappointment of oh that really didn't work out the way i'd hoped you know um to get it because you know everybody wants to hear the amazing incredible unbelievable stories yeah that's stuff that's interesting and especially for missionaries you know they have to raise money to be able to do what they do and so nobody wants to listen to them cry for an hour about (laughs) (laughs) my wallet (laughs) i totally get it yeah, but at the same time, and I love that you've written this book because on on the other side of things is these are actually the stories that people need to hear. And you saying that people who've read the book have found their story in your story. That to me is absolutely true because the, the real experience of people is not an experience of, well, I went from one success to another success to another success. And, and then it was just amazing. And my life took off and everything was perfect. Like that's not, that's not reality at all. Um, so I think people need to actually hear stories of the small thing that happened or the, um, or the real struggle that I went through. And, and it's not that everything just, you know, suddenly came together because I found the, the one key. Um, that, isn't, that isn't the way it works. Um, yeah. So I think this, this is an important thing you're doing is to be honest and, and to share like this. Um, so I really appreciate that. Well, it's been it's been my pleasure really to do it. I mean, it's one of those things that you just feel like you just have to do it and it's terrifying and um, (laughs) opening yourself up like that. I had a moment before the book came out. uh, I had a launch team that was helping me with the launch and I was, it was right before I sent the advanced copy to them. And I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) I cannot let people read this. This is, this is terrifying. Um, but I just, 
hit send. And then people started telling me how much it meant to them. And that, that helped yeah. kind of calm the nerves a little bit, but yeah. it's a terrifying <laughs> thing to, to be vulnerable and let people see the not so pretty side of, you know, things sometimes. Right. Right. So you said that, um, you know, you had to unlearn a bunch of things about how you saw God and sort of relearn in a way. Can you, like, is there a way to kind of, can you, can you give us something that's like not practical, Uh, just give it as an example of like, what's one thing or a bigger thing? Um, I think probably the biggest takeaway for me was that not everything is good by my definition of good, (laughs) but somehow God takes the things that I would probably define as horrific or terrible. And yet he creates some of the most beautiful and meaningful things out of that. So kind of the whole idea of hope when things are looking really bleak. um, That was probably the biggest takeaway. Um, So just getting to see that principle in action in my life. um, It's kind of one of those things that you read in the Bible and just kind of like, yeah, that, you know, beauty from ashes, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Um, But then to really be able to see how, I mean, you look at a situation sometimes and you think there's no way that anything good is ever going to come out of this. And a lot of times we feel that way when we're in the middle of it, because you just can't see anything outside of what's immediately in front of you. And then later when you get past it a little bit, you can see that it was such a growing experience and all of the good things that God was able to bring out of the experience. So that's probably like the major thing that I learned in the whole process. (laughs) Right. Right. Is it like, I'm just, I'm curious as well, sort of what, what kinds of things you were experiencing or um, like, yeah. What kinds of things were you experiencing? What were you seeing? What was kind of causing, like, is it just kind of human suffering? Is that like, I know there's the safety of your children. And, and so, but what, what, what about that? Like people who are listening to this uh, have, have not necessarily been to the parts of India you have been in. Like some people might've gone as tourists to, you know, uh, certain places where it feels relatively safe and sure. um we we lived in a little house that um we had a plague of spiders and that <laughs> and um and it was just very isolated and so i think the whole isolation compounded by all of our critters <laughs> um kind of, I started not sleeping well. And of course, 
sleep deprivation does all of its own horrible things. And it really just took me down an ugly spiral um, that I couldn't really climb back out of and Mm. without some help. So I went and met with the counselor and fortunately had a lot of great friends around me. And so that was, we, the other thing that as I was struggling with the question of is God good? It, I mean, India is one of the poorest countries in the world. And I'm looking around at everywhere that I go and I'm seeing people suffering. I'm seeing people that have nothing. And it just seemed to kind of reinforce at the time what I believed was I was like, how can God be good if this is what people are experiencing? Um, and so that was, that was a tough one to work through. Um, so how does- almost feeling guilty yeah. for having been born in the country that I was born in yeah. and knowing that had I been born there, it could have, that could have been my story. And then oh, totally. feeling guilty that I was even struggling with the things that I was struggling with when it was yeah, so yeah. small in comparison to the things that some people <laughs> have to deal with. Prior to going, did you, uh, did you go on any like short, if you'd done short term mission trips before or? I had um, never on like the Eastern, never in the Eastern hemisphere. Like I'd been to Mexico and okay. so it was very, a lot of culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few, about five years ago, I went to uh, Malawi uh, in, uh, Southern Africa. And, um, it's, I like, it's one of the poorest countries, I think it's bottom five countries. Um, and I remember, uh, and we were just there for, I think two weeks. Um, I remember, uh, meeting, uh, a man there and kind of the second day we were there, we went to really the poorest part of, of one of the major cities, and, um, you know, people, the living conditions were, were really bad. Um, and just meeting a man there who, uh, he was, uh, a cobbler by trade and, um, you know, had, had crutches only, uh, I think he might've had, had one leg maybe, um, but needed his crutches to walk. Um, you know, their, their house was basically, uh, one, one room, um, and uh, at the time, I before going, we were thinking about, you know, do we build? Are, are we going to build a, a garage at at our house or or a shed? And I realized that if we were going to build the shed, the shed we were contemplating building was about the same size as their house, where there was seven people living, and um, at like a ten, I think ten by twelve shed. Um, and that's all there was like they cook outside. Um, they were really happy that the church helped them build an outhouse, a new outhouse. Cause there's a collapse, you know, and they thought that was such a blessing and so amazing. Um, and he was worried about changing economies because they, you know, got donations of uh, shoes from, 
uh, from North America that we're basically putting him out of business. Um, so he couldn't really, it, was, it didn't make any sense for him to fix shoes anymore. And so he didn't know what he was going to do um, to make any money. Um, and so that first day, you know, I'd contacted someone back home and, uh, and she, she was just asking, um, you know, how can, how can our congregation pray for you? What do you want us to pray for? And I said, well, you know, pray for this man um, and his family. And can you also pray that North Americans stop wanting so much? <laughs> Like, I didn't know what to pray for because I was just like, well, like something's really wrong here. Um, And my heart was just breaking and I didn't really know how to process that. Like, I I mean, in some ways it was sort of like, I was, I was thankful when, when we could go home. Um, But also just feeling like kind of guilty. Um, You know, I also saw some really amazing stuff and saw some great things that, that um, the church organizations are doing there and um, things around new farming techniques. And like, it was really cool things that they're trying to make a real difference in people's lives and seeing some of the things that we support um, was really cool. Uh, But, but yeah, like the first couple of days, it was just, Oh my goodness. Like, and if I was, if I'd moved there and was having to live there in the midst of that, like I can see how this would just be overwhelming. Like, how am I going to live in this reality? And, 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 and be one of the richest people here and deal with that. And I don't know, like there's, I, it's super hard to explain. Like, I think, um, I don't know. Do you encourage people to go on mission trips? That's a, that's maybe a good question. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. It's a risky question. Absolutely. And we really, like my husband and I really, really, want to encourage people to go to some of the least reached places and really experience um, the need yeah. of to, you know, I, I have no idea what the future holds for us. And some people joke with me and they're like, would you ever go back to India? And, you know, when we first came back, I would have said absolutely not. Um, I doubt that we ever will go back to India, but I would. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I definitely encourage mission missions trips and because it really does change your whole perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And my, one of the things that was so great that I think we appreciated it while we were there. But even more when we came back was that there just wasn't anything to really want. And yeah. so my kids, they didn't have that mentality of, oh, this commercial came on and I saw this and now I've got to have that kind of deal. Like there just wasn't that drive to constantly get more things. Right. And so that was that was nice. There was probably that. And then just the pace of life and the focus on relationships, um, that people have in that part of the world where really it's all about, you know, you get your chai breaks and come and have chai and we'll, 
we'll spend time and you can just pop over and mm-hmm. hang out for the afternoon. And here everything is so scheduled and you've got to make an appointment three months down the road. And, <laughs> <laughs> and if you stop by somebody's house, they're like, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So those are things that, that I, I feel like we appreciated, but we really noticed when we came home um, mm-hmm. um, that we missed right. about being there. Right. Um, I always ask folks what their spiritual practice looks like. Like, do you have things that you do in your life um, that help you stay connected or, yeah, stay connected to God? Um, yeah. So what is it that you do? So. <laughs> Um, I, I like to read my Bible every day. Um, sometimes I don't, and that's like, I'm learning to not be super legalistic about it. And, Mm -hmm. um, really I do it because I love to do it. And, um, so that's, when I get super legalistic about it, then sometimes the love leaks out when you're, when you're being that way. But my, what I've started doing is trying to read through the Bible in a year and in a different translation um, each time, kind of as a way to keep it fresh for me. Um, Cause I grew up in church and basically with the NIV version. And so that particular version for me, I kind of, this sounds really bad, but I kind of tune it out a little bit sometimes and I don't really focus on what the words actually mean. Right. So I've started trying to read through in different translations to keep the fresh mm-hmm. um, aspect of that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> then the other thing is I, I am... I've tried for years, you know, people are like, you got to read your Bible and you got to pray every day. And <laughs> I do pray, but I spend a lot of time feeling really guilty about not like sitting down for 30 minutes every day and like, praying. Right. but my mind is so scattered. Like I'll sit down and I'll start out and it'll be really good. And for about five minutes and then I get distracted <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I should do this. And I should write this down. And, um, so I'm learning that maybe this is how God made me. And I just kind of pray throughout the day. Now, when things come to my mind, as opposed to like setting aside the specific time that I'm going to pray and it really, it helps me just feel connected more throughout the day. Um, and kind of takes the, the guilt, (laughs) guilt away. Yeah, I was, yeah. I'm supposed to do it this way, but I just can't seem to do it. And it seems like this is this is okay. I can do it like yeah. this. Yeah. It's uh, I, I something I'm learning through talking to people for the podcast is that um, different things. And I I noted I didn't really notice this about myself, but it's true. Is that certain things work for a season? Yeah. And, and then, so it's like, oh yeah, I'm like praying on a schedule regularly. And I did that for a while. And then, and then suddenly it's like two weeks have gone by and I've missed every single day. And then I feel really bad. And it's just like, well, no, maybe, maybe that was just, maybe that was good for those six weeks that it, 
that I did it. Like maybe that's what I was supposed to do. And now I just need to kind of restart. Um, and discovered that a lot of times the way I restart is I go back to the Psalms and just try to say, okay, I'm going to do a Psalms month and just go through the Psalms. Um, or if I haven't read other parts of the Bible, I'll, I'll go back to the Psalms to kind of reboot <laughs> the, yeah. the spiritual life a little bit. <laughs> um, but to try to not feel bad about that. Like, I think that's really good is to just say, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm kind of giving up guilt. I was thinking about that for giving up things for Lent. I think one year I was thinking, I think I might give up guilt for Lent. That would be a good thing to get rid of <laughs> and maybe just not have it back. Get rid of too sometimes. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. It's Sorry. a tough one to get rid of sometimes it, too. It sure is. Yeah, it sure is. I, I often struggle with that. Um, what's your, do you have a favorite uh, translation of, of scripture? Oh man. Since so, you've kind of. Yeah. I I'll think turn- my favorite for just personal reading is the message. Just yeah. So, so different from what I grew up reading that it really just kind of reaches out and grabs me and kind of yeah. slaps my face. It's like, this is what this means. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's great for, for like devotional reading or just personal, personal reading. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I, like I did this the other, I kind of stopped for a bit, like but a little while back. Um, I, I'd gone back to the revised standard version, like not the new revised standard version, but gone back to like, and it's got, sort of it's not as old a language as king james but it's still kind of got some old language and um it was harder to read but in some passages it's just like wow this is like it actually makes the makes it come alive to sometimes read it in an older way of things being phrased and i thought ah, oh, this is really interesting to go to like i think it's it's good to have new and fresh translations but i'm like Sometimes, like now we're far enough away from some of these other things that it's sometimes good to go back to the older ones and let them speak to us in sort of this older, more poetic sometimes language. In some ways, that's what the message does too, is that Eugene Peterson translates things in a very kind of poetic sort of way, in a modern poetic sort of way. But the King James and the RSV, I find I'll go to them sometimes because the poetry is better. Um, and the, and the phrasing is better. It's sometimes harder, it's always harder to understand. Um, but if you're like, I'm okay with giving up understanding for beauty, you know, like, I'll, you are just in that place where you're like, yes, yeah, I can read something beautiful. Yeah. Like the King James has rhythm to it. I don't know if people realize that, but it was, that was one of the, the things about the King James, which actually made it easier to memorize is that there's sort of this, uh, there's more of a, a rhythm to the, to the King James. Yeah. 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 It's weird, right? Like we don't, we don't really think about those things. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been such an awesome conversation and time has been kind of flying here for me. Um, and I just, I appreciate, appreciate so much your honesty. I want to make sure that people check out your book. Um, and, oh, I should ask you before, do you have time for one more question? Are you good? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, the title of your book is holy doubt and that's an awesome title first of all um and i think i get why you've titled it that but i want to ask specifically about the word holy and why you wanted to put why did you put those two words together in the title um yeah i put them together because basically because they seem like they don't go together right and it's that whole kind of oxymoron of 
the things where you don't think that the that they fit together and yet somehow God creates he just somehow smashes them together in a way that you're like wow it's really all you can say is wow so can so can doubt be holy I guess is I absolutely think that it can and um as long as you are in a the person of truth like truth is gonna find you <laughs> because god is he's that is one of the things that he pursues us and um even in our doubts and our questions and when we engage those things he shows up like he just does and yeah. um and it's just it's incredible to see see and so I do love the idea that doubt can be holy I mean it questions and doubt were the catalyst for me and my relationship with God without question so yeah so in some ways like that journey has has renewed or strengthened your relationship with God yes most definitely yeah I think too we forget how much doubt there is in scripture, like in the, in the, in the Bible stories. Like I think of the two that pop into my mind are the the man who says to Jesus, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. Very next sentence. I love that. I think that's just so great. Like that's in the Bible. And um, yeah, I believe and help my unbelief. Like I, I'm (laughs) doubting and believing at the same time. Like that's, it's totally paradoxical, but it's absolutely true. Um, And then the other one that I think lots of people miss um, is the Great Commission. So end of the Gospel of Matthew. And people are familiar with the Great Commission where Jesus says, you know, go and and make disciples, um, go into the the whole world and and baptize everybody and make disciples of all nations. Um, But they miss it that before that, Jesus appears to them and and it says, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. (laughs) (laughs) And then he commissions all of them. So he doesn't just say, oh, well, just you ones who are worshipping me, you doubters, you better figure that out. Then he commissions all of them. And these are like the, the core 11 at that point, disciples who then become like the pillars of the church in acts and, and, and the whole church explodes. And it's amazing. Like that's like the, Ooh, 3000 people getting baptized missionary story. Right. Um, so I think people miss that, that in that moment, there is Jesus risen from the dead, standing right in front of them about to send them on. Here's the mission of the church, but some doubted <laughs> like, you got Jesus right in front of you. Um, you know, people are more familiar with Thomas, but that one I think is, is almost a bigger, a bigger deal. Um, it's right at the great commission. Um, I think people think that doubt disqualifies us. Yeah. Serving God or anything. And I think if anything, that story from the Bible that you just brought up, illustrates the point perfectly it doesn't disqualify us like god is absolutely big enough to handle all of our yeah 
all of our questions and yeah yeah it's not it doesn't disqualify it doesn't disqualify us to ask them and to right. be curious right and to want to know like Mm -hmm. I could talk to you forever. Um, but, uh, I really want to, I, I wanted to ask you what's your take on calling, but I don't know if you have, uh, if you can, if, if you have any wisdom around, around calling. Um, so for me, yeah, I'm, I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition and calling is like a big thing. Like it's almost this mystical kind of experience God called us, you know, at camp or whatever, it becomes this big thing. And for me, I definitely had this sense that um, we would, that I would be in some kind of vocational ministry. Um, but the way that it has looked has changed so much over time. And I was talking to somebody the other day about this whole idea and it's been less about one thing and more about a journey and God has opened up so many doors and really all we've done is just walk through the doors that have been opened and then we get to see looking back the perspective we see how each step kind of really prepared us for the next and how each one kind of builds on each other so i mean we could we could have never planned all of that out right um, so i you know like i definitely believe that there is purpose and plan and but i think that god has that for every believer um mm. regardless of what they specifically do or are called to. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. There's a, there's a whole lot more there, but we're going to stop. Um, Cause this has been, this is it's a great conversation. Um, but uh, we, we both have to probably move on with our days. Um, so I, but I've really appreciated it. Where can people find you online? If they're looking for, I know you have a blog and looking for the book, where do they go? I do. I have a blog and uh, the website is www.droppingtheact.com. And the book is available on Amazon. And there's also a link on the website too. Okay. And droppingtheact.com is called that because you're all about honesty, as people can tell in this interview, <laughs> right? Yep. You know, like I have had lived my life long enough, kind of not really dealing with things as honestly and it's just not worth it so yeah. all right that is so awesome thank you so much erica for being on the podcast today i hope you found today's episode helpful don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com there you can sign up to get the free short guide called six tips to get consistent in connecting with god and when you do that You'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.